So I suffered through and stumbled my way through co-parenting with this dude for years, right? Mm. But what I kept finding was I was getting so angry at him. And I think after a period of time, I found that I was really mostly mad at myself. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Ladies, hold on to your seats. This is going to be a wild ride of a conversation as we meet with Vicki Lynn, who is a freedom fighter and an overcomer. She has risen out of the ashes from 25 years of narcissistic abuse. Here's what we love. She is a faith-based, high-conflict, co-parenting, and divorce coach reaching back into the fire to help all of us single mamas out there who are sharing custody with their narcissistic or abusive ex. So I know we've been dwelling on this topic a lot recently. And for any of you who are leaving narcissistic relationships behind, especially those who have kids, then you know this feeling of being lost or diminished doesn't always end when the relationship does. And the kids are always that tie back to this ongoing abuse that you've adored. And Vicki helps women to find their voice, to create strong boundaries and empower their children actually to do the same despite this ongoing post-separation abuse. And in doing so, she's able to help her clients gain confidence, clarity, and tap into their own power and end the abuse through their lineage and change really the course of their lives. Yes. Yes. And Vicki Lynn will help you reclaim who you once were and help you to learn how to respond to all of the illogical and absurd crap that your ex throws your way. We know it is not easy. Nope. But we also know that it is so worth being able to redeem some of that power that you lost and each small step creates forward momentum for you. Yes. Yes. And to our listener out there, we want to hear about your triumphs. Please take a moment this week to either think about or establish a purposeful boundary for yourself and let us know what steps you've been able to take to lean into your authentic self. And now without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Vicki Lynn. Welcome, Vicki Lynn, to our podcast today. Happy to have you here, Vicki. Thank you for being hey, here. Hey, we're happy you're here, Vicki. Hi. Hey, thanks so much. Well, we're excited to have a conversation with you because you are a coach for women who are co-parenting with a narcissist. And we've had some conversations through we different have. lenses around narcissism lately because it seems- It's kind like of become our theme, hasn't it? It's our, <laughs> it is there, has. This is our new theme. Welcome well, to the narcissism podcast. <laughs> right. But I feel like there's so many women out there that there are, are really struggling with this and don't even realize that they're in a relationship with a narcissist. Yep. They don't realize the impact of that relationship. And for me, that impact specifically was that I felt like I lost my voice. I felt small. 
And I felt like I had lost who I was as a person because I was forever giving myself over and accommodating my ex-husband. And so I would love to know how, what we experience in our narcissistic relationship, how does that carry over into our life? Because I have continued to feel the effects And we were sort of talking Mm. right before this is that it's really hard to step away from a narcissistic relationship, especially when you have children involved, those children are always a thread with you. So what are you seeing with your clients that they're carrying out of these narcissistic relationships with them? And how are you helping them to get beyond that as they move forward in their relationship with their ex? It sounds like. That's a really good question. What I've found for myself and for other women that are going through this is leaving is just, it's a huge victory usually, especially when we're really talking about a true narcissist who Mm -hmm. has minimized us to the point where we really don't have, like you were saying, a voice, Mm -hmm. but also our personhood is diminished or completely obliterated. And so it takes a lot of power and strength and faith to leave that kind of situation. Right. So that's like the first victory. Mm -hmm. And I recall that, I don't know if you felt this way, Shelby, but I felt like that was so monumental, like that I just wanted to rest back and like (laughs) revel in that for a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Walk For around sure. the house naked with your hero cape on. <laughs> right. Like I oh, am I that bad bitch everything. Today. Yeah. Yes. First thing you do, get rid of all of the sheets. Get yes. rid of the mattress. If all you of can this too. stuff. All new sheets. I don't want anything you've ever slept on. Right. And it feels freeing. But what I also hear is that there's a big butt. Yes. We heard the big butt coming there. Vicky. We heard the big butt. Coming I am out. not the only big butt in the room today. <laughs> you and me both. You can't see it because I'm in the chair, but, um, so the butt is literally just the start. And it's just like, if we see any movie where a woman is going on some midlife, I don't want to mm. say crisis, a journey, you know, a trek, yes. right? And she's moving across the world or whatever. She takes her problems with her. So Mm -hmm. not only do we have to heal from the abuse now that we're separated and attempting to share custody with this Mm. crazy ass dude. Yeah. So not only do we have to figure that out, but we also need to understand that if boundaries were an issue for us, which they likely were married to Mm -hmm. that kind of person, they're going to be that way with our boss, with our landlord, with our family of origin, Mm. for sure. And so it's like this epiphany that you don't want to have that, oh crap, I have to work on me. Not that you cause the abuse because period, end of story, an abuser abuses because they choose to. Yes. But, But the places in us to heal, those are just for us to heal. And they typically came before we even met the narcissist from childhood at some point still have to understand that we need to heal us because I kept finding that, you know, again, I, I wanted to just rest on my victory of leaving for the last and final time. And that was the second time that I had taken my daughter and left, mm-hmm. but you know, my landlord at that moment, now all of a sudden she's almost bullying me in her mm-hmm. methods. And I remember thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I was uncomfortable standing up to her, but I also knew this was like a pivotal defining moment for me to, to level up. Yeah. You saw the pattern and you were like, I, I, I can't accept this pattern in, mm. from anyone anymore. Correct. hundred yeah. percent. Yes. Yes. Wow. You know, you said you didn't want to really go down this path, but I almost think we can't forget our story of origin and what those limiting beliefs or stories that we tell ourselves in our head from our childhood have had in our adult lives. And what's been your experience with that as it plays into how you show up in that narcissistic relationship? Well, what's interesting is you know, we accept, however we grew up, we accept that as either normal or, you know, we, we kind of slap a label on it. Like that's just how it was in my family, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever was the dysfunction, that's sort of how we might talk about it, or at least go into our marriages often, you know, our first marriages anyway, like that. Right. (laughs) So, um, I was the people pleaser in my family of origin. Uh, my dad was a narcissist, but he was completely different flavor than the one I married. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I couldn't get his affection or his approval. And so, you know, I was always trying to please, trying to placate, trying to like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, that into the marriage, but I brought it in where the ex-husband was uh, a different narcissist. So he was, he was everything my dad wasn't. He was affectionate. He was demonstrative. Hmm. He kind of put me on this pedestal and treated me in many ways, even though there's red flags all over when you go back and look in many ways, he treated me so well. Yeah. Um, and so, so to me, I didn't have to please him in the same way I did my father or try to, it became so much more covert and so much more you know, insidious, like there was just this constant theme of not good enough. Mm. I brought it in and then he just reinforced that. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so as you think about, you know, you've, you you've got kids with this man, right? And so I'm, I'm sure this is what kind of led you into this journey of being able to figure out how to co-parent with a narcissist. And then I think about Shelby's story where she has these two amazing girls and she's co-parenting with the narcissist. And I hear all of the background stories of like kind of how he is continually trying to still alienate, rule the roost and Mm -hmm. rule the emotional, um, the emotional landscape of the girls and that household, even though he lives out in the middle of the ocean somewhere, he is still doing all that he can to be, to remain the emotional trigger point, trigger man of this family, although it's, you know, extended or separated in the way that it is. So I would love to just kind of start with how do you, as a woman in the middle who finds herself in this scenario, begin to walk in your power mm-hmm. as a parent, walk in your power as a co-parent. And what are the things that you need to think about in terms of providing that great example for your children mm-hmm. in this less than ideal situation? 
that question is like so super loaded. We could do probably a hundred episodes answering that question because that's an excellent question. So I suffered through and stumbled my way through co-parenting with this dude for years, right? Mm. But what I kept finding was I was getting so angry at him for doing everything you said, you know, manipulating our Mm. daughter, attempting to brainwash her, right? Trying to control me. He was stalking me among other Mm -hmm. things, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was getting, right. You know, so Mm -hmm. I was getting so angry at him. And I think after a period of time, two things really came to light for me that were illuminating to the truth and to like directing my next steps. One was I really was mostly angry at myself because Mm -hmm. I wasn't putting up boundaries. You know, I wasn't saying no where I needed to for my own mental and emotional health and my daughter's. And so I found that I was really mostly mad at myself. So that mm. was one thing. And then the second thing was similar to what I said a few minutes ago, I recognized that even though I was physically free of him, not living in the same roof, he was still controlling almost my entire life. And so a lot of things come from those realizations. One of them was recognizing I had to start saying no or putting a boundary. And it had to be small because I used to say and believe that's the worst part that he was my Achilles heel Mm -hmm. and that I could start putting up boundaries, even though it was hard for me, even with like the barista at Starbucks, it was freaking hard in the beginning. Okay. But I could start doing things there and they were small and then I'd get a small victory. Right. Cause I got my needs met, like speaking up, but with every time I stood up to him, I felt more confident. So it could be something Mm -hmm. small and innocuous, and then it would get bigger, right? So that was part of it. The second part was when I realized that he was controlling every aspect, including our kid. And this is a huge thing, right? For Mm -hmm. for women in in this situation, you feel like you have to continually buffer and protect the kids. And so you pander to him still, right? You do all these things. And what I recognized was it wouldn't matter because either I pandered to him and he still was never satisfactory because these guys are relentless and they're an endless pit. I call it the vortex of crap, like what they bring (laughs) where they go. So I realized I could say no, and it could be uncomfortable and a little scary and maybe have a victory or just continue to live in the vortex of crap, feel like shit about myself because using my voice, standing up, protecting myself or my kid. And I was like, well, I would rather just take a risk, something scary, shaking the whole time. Mm. I'll give you an example. So he, he used to embrace me at custody exchanges. I didn't want this dude's arms around me, like hell to the no. I didn't want that. Right. But he knew like so many of these guys do that we're not going to make a scene, especially in front of the damn kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he knew that. And at a certain point, and so I would get out of the car, help my kid get out of the car and he would hug me and my arms would be by my side and it didn't matter. They don't, they don't take a hit because they don't care. Right. Mm-mm. So after a certain point, then, then I start avoiding, and this is what we do. Like, well, <laughs> I'll just avoid that. I just won't get out of the car. Eventually, like you're not really solving the issue, not solving the problem. And it's mm-hmm. not helping you use your voice. It's really not. Mm-hmm. So I eventually, and this was after like a year and a half of this, it wasn't like it happened fast. I finally sent him an email and I said, stop embracing me at exchanges, period. It's inappropriate and I don't want it. 
stop right now. Like I was just crystal freaking clear. Like this is it. I love it. But what did he do with the next opportunity? Of course he did it because he knows now that it gets out of your skin. Correct. So he went to embrace me, but I was, and I was shaking, shaking because this guy was also, he's off the reservation and he had weapons and lots of things, but I was shaking and I just, I literally, and this was in front of like, it was at my daughter's dismissal from school. So there were lots of kids and parents and teachers all around us. And I just didn't care anymore. Yeah. And I just put, put my hand up like Heisman, you know, like put my hand up and I said, no. And my kids' eyes were as big as saucers and no one heard, no one knew what was going on really around us. And then he's, you know, oh, come on. Why do you have to be like that? You know, he started with mm-hmm. that whole thing. And I was like, don't touch me. But, you know, and there's like defining moments that I feel like each of us women who are dealing with these guys, once you make that stand, that's like, then you start from there the next time, you know, you're not always yes. going back to the mm-hmm. bottom. I think yeah, you've reclaimed that piece of power back and you have right. that now inside of you as part of your foundation again. Exactly. Yes. I love that. And I think that's so important in all relationships. Obviously, this is especially important with um, an ex who is a narcissist where you're in this type of relationship because you have children. It's important to stand your ground to, again, I love the words that Trinity just used, reclaim your own power. Um, And that's with this ex-husband, ex-significant other, or even with a new relationship. It's all about continuously finding that power and even just recognizing where your triggers are. And I think that's one thing that I've really started to recognize lately is that I've been paying more attention to what are the triggers. And even my daughter triggered me recently and it was something simple. She had just asked me, we were bebopping along in the car. I was singing along to a song And she was like, I hate it when you sing, stop singing. And that I took it as a really a personal affront because for so many years in my relationship, I felt like I could never live authentically to who I was. I could never do and say whatever it was that I wanted to do. I could never sing out loud because I was always concerned about his reaction, his response, all of these things. And in that I, I lost myself. So now that I've emerged, I've reclaimed that power. I've continued to try and live more and more authentically every day. And then when my daughter says, stop singing to me, I'm, I interpreted that in the moment in my own head as you need to change who you are. You cannot mm-hmm. be who you are because you are not good enough. And so I think one of the things that I've been learning lately is to really recognize those triggers and pay special attention to those because it's in that space that then I can take a first step forward and really dig deep and explore what is behind that. And then how do I change that? And so I guess, how are you helping your clients, um, reclaim their power? I know that you're saying you, I guess you can do small things. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, definitely. It's, you've got to start getting confidence boosts. Mm-hmm. You have to, especially for women who are new, newer out of that type of relationship because their power has been obliterated and yeah. they don't recognize how powerful they are. Mm. <clears throat> um, 
so a lot of it is taking small steps. A lot of it is because it's skill. Boundary setting is a skill. Communication mm-hmm. is a skill. And we have learned like unhealthy coping mechanisms, not really skills. They're coping mechanisms. So maybe they were survival skills, right? Mm-hmm. To survive this relationship and this marriage. But now it's like, let's learn skills. Let's learn how to communicate in a clear, concise, non-emotional way with these guys, for example, because Mm -hmm. they will take every bit of emotion and use it against you because it's vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So like, that's an example. So learning skills and the triggers that you mentioned, that's a great thing. And I don't know if you, did you, I have a question for you. Did you tell your daughter what came up for you in that moment? I did. You know, and it was funny because I didn't exactly realize or recognize in the moment why I felt so angry. I I wouldn't say angry was the right word, but I felt frustrated. And I, I said, you know, I was like, I will sing in my car if I want to, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, but we did have a conversation about it later when my emotions had subsided and I was able to rationalize what was it that came up for me. And so that's a a great question too, because I guess then I would ask you back, when is it appropriate to have these conversations with your children? Now, my daughters are 13 and 16. And so am I, they're very, very mature for their age. And so I felt like it was appropriate for me to have that conversation. And I think the hard thing is for me too. And, and as we go here is that I think my children don't see the narcissism And so you've shared with us that your ex and mine as well can be quite charming Mm -hmm. and loving and puts you on a pedestal and adores you. And, you know, my ex-husband does the same with the children. And I think they see that and they buy into that and they don't see the underpinning manipulation that's happening even when it's happening right in front of their faces, I see it, but they don't, and they're not recognizing it. And so my fear is that they'll adopt those behaviors and start using those behaviors, you know? So how do we handle those situations? Another awesome question. And my answer might be controversial because I've noticed that some moms will completely I don't know, embrace what I'm saying and feel the same and others will uh, rail against it. So feeling is this, if you're talking about someone who is basically lying and manipulating his children, okay, why as mothers, we prepare them for everything else under the sun. Why would we not prepare them to recognize those behaviors or call them out for what they are? Now, I am not saying that we go off on a rant and talk about what an a-hole he is. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that, although that would feel great, but we're not saying that. My kid was, she was probably around eight years old, almost nine, when we really started to have conversations about her dad's behavior in the, because I felt, A, I felt filtered, like where I had like almost a muzzle, not even a filter, like a muzzle on my mouth around her. And I would watch him do stuff. And then she would, she'd come to me and say, mom, I don't know who to believe. And it wasn't even Mm -hmm. like I was saying anything. It was just like, she just had this inherent battle going on in her to know that something's not right. And so I 
finally said, look, I'm in my head, I was thinking I'm sending her to a wolf in sheep's clothing every week when we were sharing custody, like literally. And I felt like it was my duty to help her see what the truth was. And so I just started to ask questions. And I think that we can do this as moms at any age, you just do it age appropriately. So mm. when she would come to me and say, mom, dad did this, said that, or he blamed me for something I didn't do or whatever it was. Right. And I would just start asking her questions to help her please stay in reality and yeah. affirm, affirm her experience because that's what narcissists do. They try to, they gaslight you and our kids <laughs> so that what we know to be true happened or didn't happen. They'll say the opposite. Mm. So, you know, I mean, it could be as concrete as daddy said, he, I don't know, he had to go on a business trip or he had to go to the hospital, whatever it is. And he couldn't do X, Y, Z for me. And you know, damn well, he's at home because you saw his car. So one time I drove my, I was like, not, I'm not going to do this anymore with her. And I drove her to his house and I said, daddy is home car. Do you see him in the window? She's like, yeah. I'm like, she goes, what does that mean? I said, she goes, and I let her answer. I want to put words or thoughts in her mouth. I just let her answer. And then she said, so does that mean he lied to me? And I said, yes. And that wasn't me because women will come and say, well, he's going to say I'm alienating him and oh, he's going to take me to court. And I'm like, what's he going to say? Told the truth or it's his word against yours anyway. The whole premise is I feel like we have to help our kids come to their own conclusions and validate their experience like a hundred times over, validate their guts. And if they are truly... And another thing I'll say, because I think this is important because we as moms don't, we want to shield our kids all the time. Do we not? Yeah. Like from everything. So we yeah. want to shield them from the truth of what an asshole their father is or how evil he is or how he's trying to harm them. So we might unknowingly be saying things that are smoothing it over for them, but shielding them from the truth. I know that got mm -hmm. kind of heavy, but like, that's how I feel. And like, for me, one of the things was had to start, stop saying, well, your dad loves you because I don't believe that's true, but it took me a long time to not just say that. Cause we're kind of like trained to say that. So like if yeah. your kid is hurt, whatever you're like, oh, you know, well, he still loves you. Or, or what my dad used to say was my, my mom, um, that's just your dad's way of loving mm. that a dad's way of loving is freaking warped, which taught so, you that it was okay when you saw those behaviors in someone else, because that must've meant that that person loved you as well. And by not having these conversations with our daughters, we're teaching them that it's okay as a woman to be manipulated. It's okay to be lied to. And it's okay to make up a fucking excuse for this dick bag of a human every single time they want to do something that suits them and completely could care less about us. And so I applaud you for taking that approach. And I admit that's got to be super hard because we are trained as mamas to cover our kids and to not talk shit about their dads, because isn't that terrible if we do, but this is, this yeah. is a bold approach. And I think it takes courage. Yeah. And I find that it's, it's also a slippery slope as well for me, because it has, 
it's been challenging for me because I have been trying to have some of these conversations and they have had some experiences, Vicki, with their father where they've spent the afternoon locked in their bedroom while he's on the other side of the door, literally banging the door down there on the other side of the door in fear. And it's all because they didn't put their shoes away like they should have, he asked them to do. And he's just suddenly snapped and lost his mind and is yelling at them for two hours straight. And we all snap and we all lose our mind, but that is an excessive (laughs) overreaction to a situation. And so they've had these experiences, but it's been a long time since Mm -hmm. he's exhibited those types of behaviors. At that time, he was also an alcoholic. So he's been in rehab twice in the last year. And so I think they have a perception that since he's come out of rehab, he is a different person. And he's worked very hard to manage his image, like a lot of narcissists like to do, to craft this new persona that he's a different guy now that he has left rehab. And my daughters have bought into that because I feel like now their exposure with him has been limited a lot because I have assumed full custody. They really have only seen him a handful of times in probably the last 18 months. And So that makes it really difficult to have these conversations because there's not always these top of mind examples or immediate examples, um, in which I can say, see, see, he is this person that I've portrayed him to be because they're, they're not getting that exposure or that experience. And so what's happened for me is that when I start to have these conversations, they look at me as the bad guy. They look at me as trying to put down their father. My daughter has told me that I have outdated ideas of who he is now because I'm basing my perception on a relationship that I had with him and we've been divorced almost seven years. And so it's their perception that I have a faulty belief system in my own mind because my experiences happened so long ago. They're not reflective of who he is as a human today. And so that's where the, the difficulty comes in. And I would be curious to get your opinion on this, but it's been my experience. You just really have to kind of walk gingerly with your children about these topics. And if, if I get the impression that that is where their mindset is, they think I shouldn't be talking about their father in this way. And so then I have to kind of back off that a little bit. And, um, and so I guess you know, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? And, or how do you really, in those types of situations, is there a a way to give them some exposure when that exposure is even limited so that they can truly see who he is, or maybe learn how to navigate those conversations with him, you know? Well, I think it's, it depends on like, what, what is he saying to them? You know, does he, you know, does he make false promises? Cause a lot of it is like future faking, right. Where it's mm-hmm. never going to come true. Right. Um, and that with like, in that scenario, it's just a matter of time. So that's, you just have to wait that out. Right. Um, if it's, so it just depends on what it is. You know, my ex would promise the world and never deliver. Right. And mm-hmm. so that, that just has to be like, you just have to wait that out. So it really yeah. depends on what he's saying to them. Yeah. And that's the hard thing too, right now, because with social media and with technology, both of my daughters have their own phones, their own computers. And so, um, he's recently relocated to Hawaii. And so he's really so far away. Our correspondence has 
diminished and his correspondence with the girl's direct correspondence has increased. And so I really have no concept of what he is talking to them about or what he is telling them or promising them. And so that makes it difficult to navigate too, to really have a clear picture of what your kids are getting from the other parent. Yeah. Well, maybe just, you know, I'm sure you already do this, but just having open conversations, Mm -hmm. just leaving it wide open, you know, and doing everything that you can to not put any of your thoughts in and -hmm. just making it so that you are truly their safe place. Like, you know, this, you already are doing this. I'm sure Mm -hmm. making sure that you're their safe place that they can talk to you about anything. And that might even just be something that you say, you know, Mm -hmm. I know that you think that I feel X, Y, Z about dad, but honestly, I love you most of all. And you can talk to me about anything. I promise I won't blow up. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, just being always that open place for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that they know that I'm their safe place. And, you know, I guess I'm wondering too, in your personal experience, how much of your children's perception is a want, you know, sometimes I get the impression that my daughters want to believe, you know, you, you gave a good example about, um, your ex-husband lying to your daughter. Well, my ex-husband has done that as well. When he was getting sober, he was using a technology called Soberlink to demonstrate his sobriety. And in six months time, he missed 58 tests and failed three tests. So when I would say to my daughters, you know, your dad is clearly not sober. He would contradict that he would, you know, like a narcissist would, he would say, Oh no, I accidentally forgot it at home. Or I, you know, was out and about at the grocery store and it was a suddenly time to take this test and I didn't have it with me. And I know, and you know, that that might happen a handful of times, but not 58 times and fail three of them, but it's almost like they believe him because they want to believe him. Right. They want so much to believe that he is the person that he claims that he is. And so that becomes difficult to navigate too. Have you encountered that with some of your clients as well? And how do you manage through some of these things? Yes, that's a good point because, and and this was a surreal feeling for me personally, and I know it can be for other moms. When you end up, I'll use the word commiserating, like when you commiserate with your kids over Mm -hmm. the same, you know, adult, even though it's a different role that he played in your life and theirs, it's an odd feeling, right? But I started to commiserate with my kid. So Mm. she Mm. would tell me, she would tell me something that really like, there's nothing I could say or do to make it better. Or in your case, like they, you know, they, you're, that's a really strong um, desire is denial of the truth, but also desire for him to be something he's not right. And, but like, we can relate to that. So I would say in the same thing with what I did with my daughter and with, I do with clients is I'll say, so there's really no need to like, try to prove that he's wrong you know, mm-hmm. try to prove his lie necessarily. It's more like you could just commiserate with a story from your past with him that shows that he's a lying piece of shit, but mm-hmm. you're not actually saying, no, he's lying about the sober link. You know, he's yeah. lying, you know? So I started to commiserate with my kid. Mm-hmm. She would tell me something and I would just be like, yeah, that's interesting. Cause that happened to me with dad once too. And I would, I told her the story and then they're so damn smart, especially girls. I right. can't speak for boys because I only parent a girl, but um, <laughs> they're a little, they're a little slower on the uptake, <laughs> but they're, but, but kids, a lot of kids know, you know, but so she would just start to pick up on it and start to see the parallel. 
And um, so I think a lot of that is helpful because, and that can also go back to the trigger question too, because I started to commiserate with her triggers. So, mm. you know, she would tell me something that dad used to do and it, and it upset her mm. if I'm doing it. And I was like, I totally understand that. Right. <clears throat> and then I've done a similar thing with her. So you talked about with singing in the car. For me, it was laughing. Okay. Mm, and if, oh. so I, so laughing and just my voice in general, you know, the ex would always say that, and you, you described it so well about how we change, right. To accommodate them. But he always used to say my voice and my laugh was too manly. And mm. so when my daughter, it's almost like they know also, I don't know, kids, I yeah. think have some kind of weird ESP, but she started to make fun of my laugh. This was a couple of years ago and it, it hurt. Like you were saying mm -hmm. it hurt in a weird way. Right. Yeah. And when I finally said to her, that's what dad used to do to me. And I will never apologize for my voice or my laugh again. And please don't make fun of it. She, she got it. It was like, you know, you could just see it was like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that really hurt mom. Cause she wow. could understand how that would hurt her mm -hmm. if it was something similar. And so we just have an understanding, just like now you probably do with your daughter. We just have an understanding. There are things that we just don't do or say because they're triggers. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I love that. So you've also touched upon some tools that you offer to your clients, things like detaching, reframing, affirmation, declarations. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about some of those tools that you use to help women as Trinity so eloquently said earlier, reclaim their power, step back into who they are as people, because what I'm finding is, you know, I, I don't want the negativity of what happened with my past relationship mm -hmm. to seep into yeah. my relationship with my daughters and with myself. And I really am working hard right now to, to heal that trauma and to let it go because it's not serving me anymore. So right. what, what do you use? What tools do you recommend to help the women that you work with move beyond it? Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned some of them and the detachment is a huge one. And I don't really use that term. I mean, I'll say detach as a verb, you know, but I don't use it as a term. I just talk to a mom, just like we're talking right now, like if we were mm -hmm. having coffee, right? And so <clears throat> a lot of it is asking questions to under, for, the, for the mom to come to her own realization, for the woman to understand, you know, being locked and engaged, let's say in a battle over some BS, really, truly BS, you know, could be clothes that need to go back and forth between the houses, right? It could be mm -hmm. extracurricular activities. Like it could be a whole bunch of stuff, but asking questions so that they can understand that being locked in those battles while it seems important, it could be organic food. It could be like less screen time. Mm. It could be whatever. Like that keeps, keeps us attached mm. to them and their bullshit and their poison. Yep. And a, a lot of it is like helping women to, to look at their li life, look at where they are most frustrated because that's typically where they are most attached still and notice how it's hurting them. And so I'll talk about detachment in that way. Like, Hey, what's most important? Pick your battles, like that whole kind of reasoning. But we really work through a lot of question and answer, evaluating 
where you're most pissed off at him is usually mm. a place that you need to really focus on and, and see, is it worth it? Can I let it go? How can I deal with it differently? Or do I need to truly like let go of it and just accept that it's part of the outcome of, of this situation? And, and a lot of us have a real a challenge in really for our own comprehension, especially like midlife, because you want to talk about looking back at, for me, it was my whole twenties, my whole thirties and, mm-hmm. and thinking, did I just freaking waste my life yeah. with this asshole? Yeah. No, I didn't because I have my child. So like, I can't say that. Right. But accepting and, and embracing the fact that we were with a liar and, you know, our marriage could have been a lie but our kids are not live. Like they are real and they are the best part of us. Right. And we are their life. Mm. You know, we often say like, are my kids are my life and blah, blah, blah. Really that we are their life, especially as the emotionally safe parent, the one who's trying to heal, the one who's trying to do all the things for them so that they don't repeat this bullshit in their life. So a lot of it is like that acceptance piece and letting go of it's okay. If it wasn't what I thought it was, and I want different and better in, in the future. And for me, I just wanted to stop the abuse cycle in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, I looked back at my parents. I looked back at their parents. Like, you know, you could start doing that whole thing and seeing where all the dysfunction is. And mm-hmm. I was like, for some reason, God's called me to be the cycle breaker mm-hmm. and I'm up for it. Like, let's go. I don't want to see my kid repeat it. Yeah. 100%. I look at my mom and, um, I think that was what she was really focused on for me and my sister was wanting to shelter us and keep us from feeling the abuse that she was experiencing and making sure that we did not continue that pattern in our lives. And I think a lot of it stuck for us. So I'm thankful. Mm. So kudos to you for making that your, your focus to break that cycle. Yeah. Kudos to your mom as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So we are coming close to the time. And so I just wanted to ask you to leave our listener out there with some parting thoughts about what are the, you know, the top tips that you recommend that they can do to again, reclaim themselves and live a life of peace and harmony as much as possible with this other person, but really to, to be connected to their kids and continue that relationship in a meaningful way. So I think it's super powerful to understand that, especially after you've been abused um, Mm -hmm. and in a narcissistic relationship that you're your own person. And I think a lot of us just midlife in general, women, like we're kind of reclaiming who we originally intended you know, to be right. And mm-hmm. looking at the next half of our life to be genuine and authentic to that person. Mm-hmm. But we that are coming out of this narcissistic relationship, we have like another layer of that to get through, I, I feel. Mm-hmm. So I feel like understanding that you have worth that's outside of your marriage And Mm -hmm. that it's super important to realize that your kids need you to get his voice out of your head yeah. because his voice is coloring everything you're thinking, everything you're saying, doing, it certainly could color your decisions that you're making. 
whether like you don't go to a certain church, like in my example, because you knew the ex didn't like the pastor. Okay. Screw him. Right. Okay? Go to the church you want to go to, right? Like do what you want to do, but it's, it's understanding that you are a super powerful woman. I think a lot of us are actually afraid of our power. We're mm-hmm. afraid of how powerful we mm-hmm. are and, or we've been told that that power is wrong, bad, ugly, unattractive, whatever, like in my case. Mm-hmm. So every time I'm on a podcast like this, I so appreciate y'all. Or every time I'm anywhere and I can speak out, it is cathartic for me because mm-hmm. that is reclaiming my power. And that is using the voice that was silenced mm-hmm. for a long time because not only was I afraid of my own voice, if you will, he was super afraid of it because he, oh, a lot yeah. of narcissists are super afraid of the power that we have as women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as mothers, because now we're going to shape the generation to come. That's right. So I would say, recognize how powerful you are. Don't be afraid of it. And then, then embrace it, whatever that means for you and get his voice out of your head. So that mm. could mean, that could mean journaling when you're thinking of stuff or you feel confused, a lot of times the confusion is just because you know something else to be true for you, but you have his voice in your head. So like getting it out on paper and then deciding what do you really like? What do you really want? And what's true for you? Right. Just this notion of get his voice out of your head. Like that is probably one of the most powerful statements I have heard on this topic. And we've talked to a lot of folks Mm-hmm. Um, that is practical sound, go get that shit done advice. Yeah. And then find what it is that you believe. And I think the hard part is, um, and maybe you have some words of wisdom as to how to do that as well, because I think a lot of us leave these relationships and have this feeling of emptiness. We recognize that we don't want to be in this relationship anymore, but we don't know how to be ourselves because we've forgotten who we are and we got lost in that space. So what have you done to rediscover what brings you joy and what makes you happy and what you believe without his voice in your ear? Yeah. So a lot of that is for me, and I coach women to do this is to get in a space and it could be out on a walk. It could be with meditation music or prayer get in a space where you can just have a little bit of peace and quiet. And it doesn't have to be long. It could be five minutes a day Mm -hmm. and just start to think about a topic that, you know, or something that's on your mind and just start writing, just free write. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? And you're going to start to become aware of where you're super mad or you're super passionate and you start to come to, and you feel it in your gut. That's a huge thing. Mm. Cause you know, we were trained by these guys to not have a gut anymore yeah. or you felt it and you just pushed it so far down that you don't even know. And a lot of us, or that your know. gut is crazy. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of us don't know, I don't even know what I like. I don't even know what I feel or believe. And I just say, mm-hmm. just start, just start getting all of your thoughts about one topic or one issue. That's a hot issue out on paper and then revisit it again, whatever you need to do until you're clear, or at least until you're like, that doesn't feel right. Then you have an inkling, like that might not be true for me. And it's a progression and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is go try new things when you feel maybe not totally up to it, like Mm -hmm. in a risk taking moment, whether that's you go on a hike somewhere that you would never have done before, whatever it is, doesn't have to be anything major, but those things are going to help reveal 
what you think, what you feel, what you want out of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, Vicki, it's been wonderful. I felt like it was just this time flew by, like it was old girlfriends having a <laughs> cup of coffee together. It was so lovely to chat with you. And thank you for your words of wisdom and for helping us to understand things through a different lens when it comes to this type of relationship. Because again, this has been a hot topic with our listener out there. And so I think the idea of the co-parenting lens was really powerful and one that I'm particularly going through right now. So I really welcome the advice. So thank you very much. Thank you. Great chatting with you. Oh my gosh, that conversation with Vicki Lynn, really, honestly, I I know that you could tell through the conversation really resonated with me so much because I am so deep in the throes of this post separation abuse. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And again, one of the things that she said that that really struck me was that leaving this relationship with an abusive ex is just this one monumental foot forward, but it's unfortunately for better or worse can sometimes really just be the start of a longer journey when the kids are involved. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, sometimes Shelby, we have to look inward and evaluate what we can control. And that looks like starting with setting small boundaries, which breeds greater and greater confidence. Yeah, I know for sure that is something I need to do a better job at. Once you've reclaimed some small piece of power back, you really start from there the next time and you just continue to build and grow. Yeah, the thing that was tripping me out was this conversation around how do I deal with this in relation to my children Mm. and their understanding of my ex's behavior and where I am. And so this idea of being honest with your children about the ex's behavior and being authentic to yourself is really what I would think of as a moment where you can model open communication Mm -hmm. and do what is right for your child at the right moment. It's hard for us mamas, us grizzly bear mamas, where we feel like we have to protect them from everything, but don't feel like you have to always shield them from the truth because there's power in truth. So true. So true. And I think what I've learned from that is that it's important to be honest, but it's also important to be a safe place for your kids and for yourself. 100%. And you know me, I'm not a big journaler at all. And so it was interesting when we were talking about this, but this idea of journaling to alleviate past anger and find new passions actually resonated with me. And it made me think like this could be an opportunity for me to try new things, Mm -hmm. even in journaling, but also using that as an opportunity to start to shift my mindset to really go beyond that and try new things in my life. Mm, I love that. I love that. So many rich tips to walk away with today. And ladies, we would love to hear from you. Please leave us a review. We know that this theme is getting a lot of traction amongst our listeners. We've had so many women reach out to us and let us know that this topic is really resonating with them. We would love to know what is one thing that you can do to set a boundary or reclaim your power this week. Please leave us a review and let us know. We'd love to hear from you.